powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to friends, foes, and neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings because what you're about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary, and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Productions Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hey there, hi everyone, thanks, thanks. Hello everyone, thank you, welcome back to the latest episode of the Derek Duvall Show. Yes, that show you have seen being retweeted by countless accounts on Twitter. I don't know all of you, but trust me, I do look. We have a lot to cover, but before we get to tonight's guest, I want to announce a new project that I've been working very, very hard on. For the past year, Mrs. Duvall has done small voiceover work and made cameo appearances on a few podcasts. There has been a growing and very vocal majority that feel that her and I need to team up and discuss movies since I make remarks all the time about her movie watching. Well, you asked for it, and for better or worse, you got it. This week, we'll be debuting our new show. The Derek Duvall Show presents Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies. This will be a short 5-10 to minute spoiler-filled review of all the movies we watch with our own twists on how we look at them. You could not match together two people who were as diametrically opposed as we are. Mrs. Duvall and I are both really excited for you to hear what we've come up with. I will let the world know when it comes out, and it won't be too long from now, so stay tuned. That being said, it's March, and that means it's Women's History Month. Now, I decided to do something fun this month. Episode 46 through 49 will all feature powerful and amazing women who I have interviewed in the past and haven't released yet. They will be released on the Mondays coming up, so start with today. We start with the science category, and we could not be happier to have on the show a truly remarkable woman, Abby Harrison. You might know her as Astronaut Abby. She'll be coming on the show to discuss daring to dream of going to space at a young age and the mountains she has and continues to move to make that dream a reality. It's inspiring stuff, folks. Plus, we will discuss her work in STEM and how she founded the Mars Generation. Ladies and gentlemen, she is an absolute delight, and I cannot wait for you to hear her. So, Duval Nation, let's go ahead and get her on out here. Please welcome to the show all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. Possibly the first person to set foot on the planet Mars, astronaut hopeful Abby Harrison. Okay, Abby, good evening. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How has the weather been to you today? <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. It's great to talk with you. Uh, the weather has been quite chilly. I'm located out of the Boston area, so it's ah. a little nippy right now. Yeah. I do love that area. Um, my wife's family, uh, the, her sorry, her sister and husband live in Ipswich. So uh, I do like going up there every now and again. It's very rural country. Yeah, so you're familiar for sure. No, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a nice nice little area to be in, mm. definitely. So before we get going, um, full disclosure, I want to let you know I'm a, a huge fan of space, NASA, SpaceX, since I was a little kid. So this is a real treat for me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, well, thank you so much. That sounds like we're going to have a great conversation then, because yeah, uh, as you may know, I'm also a huge fan <laughs> of space. <laughs> so I like to start my interviews with the same question regarding these weird times of living. How has it been for you to navigate all this crazy COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, it's been a little bit odd. <laughs> I think that's how most people would respond. It's been a weird couple of years. Like many people, I ended up having to really shift what my, my plans and my intentions were when COVID happened. Um, I had originally, I had just graduated from college and had originally been planning to do a uh, two or three month long backpacking trip across Russia and China. Oh, wow. Um, I know, right? It was really exciting. And I had uh, set up my life in a way where I had these couple of months where I wasn't in school, I wasn't, you know, working full time, all of that. And I was planning to do this, um, this solo trip to, to really 
get some more experience firsthand um, with the languages that I've studied because I have studied both Mandarin and Russian. And I was just really looking to shore that up. And of course, when the pandemic really struck, I had to, to do a 180, cancel those plans. Uh, but I ended up in a pretty good spot anyways. I, I ended up um, working in a research lab as a scientist at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. So I can't really, can't really complain. I would say that um, <laughs> it was uh, not what I expected, but still it's been a very interesting couple of years. You know, that's funny. I've been doing this show now for a long time. And obviously that's the first question I always ask because it's just the way it has been. But um, the response to the answers have been so diverse and yours right there is absolutely so unique. And uh, it's, it's most of the, most of the people who's been on there, obviously, you know, there's been some struggles, but somebody's like, you know, they've learned to play a new instrument or they wrote a book or stuff like that. So to hear, like I said, you're doing a research program, that's, that's really unique. That's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, it was, it's been a, a really great thing to get to be a part of over the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. funny, you should mention that though, because I did publish a book during the mm-hmm. pandemic also. <laughs> yep. But we're talking about that in a little bit. First though, I always like to, it's fun to start at the beginning. I mean, why not? Right. So tell us, what is it like to grow up in St. Paul, Minnesota? Yeah, so I, I loved growing up uh, in, in the Twin Cities. So I spent uh, exactly half of my childhood in St. Paul. And then when I was nine years old, we moved to Minneapolis. And I really loved growing up in the Twin Cities. I thought, I still think that they are the best cities on the planet. <laughs> but one of the things that was so fortunate for me and that I look back on with, with a lot of uh, gratitude and such is that when I was growing up, I had access to a lot of community-driven STEM, the so science, technology, engineering, and math extracurriculars. So when I was a 10-year-old, I could go after school and learn how to launch weather balloons and how to build robotic cars and just all of this cool stuff that I look back on and I'm like, wow, not only was the Twin Cities such a great place to grow up, but the school systems there, the public school systems were really top-notch. Uh, and I always have to, you know, whenever I get asked about my my childhood or like you said, the, the early years, um, I always like to throw that in that the teachers and the school systems in the Twin Cities are just fantastic. You know, as I was thinking to myself when I was, you know, doing the research uh, for this interview is, you know, li- growing up in St. Paul, Minnesota, if you want to go to space, you could not find a better, colder place to condition yourselves for those conditions. <laughs> yeah. I- <laughs> funny you should mention that definitely because that's a joke that I used to make a lot I would come downstairs and I would you know look at my family and I would say guess what it's, <laughs> it's colder today outside in Minnesota than it is on the surface of Mars and awesome. <laughs> so being that what age did you decide you want to pursue a dream of going to space so it's a little bit hard to answer that question because it's something that I have just always known as you know hmm. the same way that you look up and you see that the sky is blue or the same way that I knew, you know, growing up that my name was Abby. The, the third fact that I would have listed after those was, and someday I will work in space. And it's really from my earliest, it's, it's one of my earliest memories is probably when I was about four or five years old. And it was one of those cold Minnesota nights, which we've already <laughs> mentioned, <laughs> but I have this really distinct memory of, standing outside on my back porch uh, and my family's back porch and looking up at the night sky. And it wasn't a very special night sky. Now that I'm older and I've I've seen a lot um, nicer, more pristine night skies, I look back and it's not that anything about the sky was special, but I have this memory of seeing the stars and having all of these really big questions that were going through my brain. And, And in that moment, knowing that I wanted to be a part of finding the answers to these questions. And that is really when I set my heart and, and mind on becoming an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And my, um, my poor family had to hear about it for the next, or <laughs> has had to hear about it for the next uh, two decades or so since then. <laughs> Their reaction, I assume, has been pretty positive and pretty receptive to the idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have super supportive family and especially my mom, who um, my mom is actually a single mom who raised me and my sister. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has always been 100% in my corner, has been my biggest champion and supporter in chasing after this dream that 
some people would look at and say is outlandish or crazy. She's always been the person telling me, why not? Why not you? Mm-hmm. Why not try? And um, yeah, I've been super lucky to, to have that kind of support. It's, it's a little bit of a funny story, actually, because as I mentioned, I have had this dream ever since I was probably about four or five years old. And for probably the first five or six years that I was talking about it, my mom just kind of, uh, I guess you could say, ignored me and (laughs) thought that it was just a childhood fancy and that eventually I would grow out of it. But it was around the time when I was 10 or 11 years old that she realized that I was still saying that I wanted to be an astronaut and that this had been going on for a couple of years. And so she sat down with me and had a, um, a very serious talk colloquially when she tells this story she calls it the come to Jesus talk um, <laughs> but <laughs> essentially what what she did was uh, she told me the 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 truth and the the cold hard facts about how difficult it would be to become an astronaut the fact that you know in some selection years there have been upwards of uh, 12 16 18,000 people who apply for eight or ten spots and we talked about all the numbers and we talked about um, how, how difficult it is to become an astronaut. And you have to remember that at the time I was 10 years old. So this was some, some tough love that I was being given. And uh, I left that conversation and I went and I, I put together plans of action. And I brought them back to her the next day. I printed out these pages with roadmaps on them about different ways that I could go about making this a reality. And one of them was by going to the military and the other one was by taking a civilian route and becoming a scientist. And I had all of these different goals in it. And that is when my mom um, signed on for, for my big dream as mm-hmm. well, because she realized she, she, she always tells the story and says that she realized in that instance, how serious I was about making this dream a reality. Um, and I've just been so lucky to have uh, her support ever since then. That's awesome. See, uh, that warmed my heart even hearing that. That's that's fantastic. But you know what, though? It's like you said, you know, there may be, you know, 20,000 people apply, but someone has to win, you know? You, you can't exactly. win a raffle. You can't win a raffle if you don't buy a ticket, so. Exactly. And uh, the other really exciting part about this dream is that, you know, I'm fully aware of, of the reality and that it might just not be uh, in the cards, you know, in the future for me. But the, the really exciting part is that, chasing after a dream this big really leads you on a lot of interesting avenues and and paths throughout life as well. And so I've already done significantly more things, things that I, you know, never could have imagined 10 years ago, I've I've accomplished now and I've gotten to experience. And so it's one of those things that I look at and I say, obviously the ultimate goal is to accomplish my dream to become an astronaut, a professional astronaut and, and spend my career working in space. But I like to live life thinking, what if I don't accomplish that dream? How will I feel about all the choices that I've made along the way and the things I've gotten to do? And so far, so far, I think that uh, it's a win-win situation. You know, what sounds as insurmountable, if you can pull, you know, you got, I guess, a degree from Wesley, am I saying it right? Wesley College? Yeah, Wellesley College. Wellesley College. I mean, that alone, I mean, that's that's a hell of an accomplishment right there. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) <laughs> so you said earlier um you know uh, wesley how do you say it? wellesley am i saying it right wellesley yeah wellesley yeah one of those funky you know words in massachusetts <laughs> where every now and then you hear one and you're like that can't be right <laughs> <laughs> what what are your favorite memories of attending there so um one of the things that made wellesley really special is that it's a historically women's college and that was always just a really fantastic part of being a student at Wellesley was getting to be in this environment where especially in the sciences I was really I felt welcomed all of the time and I didn't feel like there were ever doors closed in my face or anything like that Um, and so that's that's kind of a big picture when I think about Wellesley I just think about what a wonderful great experience it was it was more than more than just college it wasn't just going to get my degree it was really a time period in my life where I got to make some lifelong friends and Mm. learn a lot about growing up and all of that but to to pick out one specific particular memory that was probably my favorite from from those four years was the time period where I got to go on a research expedition to Siberia um, to nice. do 
I know, right? It's really, it's really kind of one of those like wild, sometimes I think about it and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I actually got to do that. So I spent a month in Siberia um, living on the shores and uh, for a portion of the time actually living on a boat on the world's um, most voluminous lake. So it's the lake that has the most fresh water out of any body of water in the entire world. And it has just so many incredible features about it. It's really remote, removed from a lot of human impact. And it also has a really high level of species that you can only find within this one particular lake and nowhere else um, on the planet. And so getting to spend a month there just you know, immersed in field work and research science um, is hands down my my favorite experience <laughs> from Wellesley. So we're going to jump into uh, the Mars generation in a minute, but uh, I have to ask, what are your early memories of the space program? So for me, when I was growing up, um, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to space, which is kind of crazy and wild, given what my inclinations are and what my, my dreams are. But I was just a kid growing up in the Midwest, where it's not like, um, it's not like being down on, you know, in the space coast in the south or any of these places that really have a lot of this industry going on. Uh, I only really knew very much about space from books and movies and, and those kinds of exposures until I was about, um, I was 13 years old. And that was the first time that I got to really interact, I guess you could say, within the space community. And there were a couple of things that happened when I was 13. One of them was that I went to space camp for the first time, mm. which was really, really fun and really great. I got to meet people my own age and um, young people who had similar passions and uh, interests that I did. And then that same year, I also went down to Florida with my, my mom um, to watch uh, the second to last launch of the space shuttle. And when I was on the way back um, from that experience, uh, I was in the airport just you know coming back up to Minnesota and I, through sheer happenstance and chance, I bumped into an astronaut in the airport. Wow. Um, I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was fortunate that I, I recognized him. I went up to him and introduced myself and he ended up having about an hour of time before his flight where he was able to sit down with me and just spend some time interacting and talking and answering my questions. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of it, he wrote down his email address on a piece of paper and gave it to me and said, if you have any more questions, please send me an email. I will Aww. be your astronaut. <laughs> yeah. That's so and awesome. I was so lucky to get to have that kind of like a mentor-mentee relationship at such a young age and get to have that direct line where, you know, there's that quote, you can't be it if you can't see it. It's right. not always true, but it is a lot harder to be something if you can't see it. And it was kind of the opposite for me after that, because I have this person who had achieved one of only, you know, 550 people ever to have achieved this huge goal that I had. And now I was able to, you know, directly communicate with him and get all of this inspiration and just really have this connection that helped me to believe so much more strongly in my own dreams. Mm. And so that was a pretty awesome exposure to the space program <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so uh, what is the feeling like to get accepted to Harvard? So, um, so I haven't, I always like to be clear about this. I, I haven't studied at Harvard as a student. Um, mm -hmm. I was working there as a scientist in one of the research okay. labs. But that said, it was still a very uh, awesome feeling to get the, uh, the email because I interviewed, obviously, I submitted my application, went through all of the interviews with HR and all of that, and then interviewed with um, all of the different lab members for the lab that I was planning to join. And it was kind of a long day. It was, you know, five, like five different interviews in a row. And then a couple hours later, I got the email inviting me to join the lab. And that was really an incredible, incredibly exciting um, awesome. for me, because again, this is something where I, I'm the first person in my family to study STEM, so science, tech, engineering, and math. I'm the first person in my generation to go to college um, mm -hmm. so of my siblings. And having grown up in the, the Midwest from a pretty modest family, my mom was a, a high school teacher, all of that. Harvard was 
always this like pinnacle, I guess you could say, of achievement in academics and in science. And so to now find myself there this early on in my career, it was, it was very exciting for me. And um, my family are definitely proud as well. You know what the best part about that is? What? <laughs> when you going forward, when you're done with this, with this project, going forward, anytime someone disagrees with you in a conversation, you get to say, well, I don't want to tell you you're wrong, but I went to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, I've already pulled that one out occasionally, especially because you want to know the field that I was working in yeah. uh, or that I work in. My, my lab um, is in immunology. Ah, and nice. So <laughs> <laughs> it's very, I, yeah, it's very timely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's great. Uh, there was a there was a John this John Oliver once, and they took a clip of everybody in a month period on news radio or news television who said I went to Harvard, and they put it into like a into a thirty second long clip, and it was incredible to watch. So uh, yeah. Oh, that sounds that sounds pretty pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Duval Nation, are you inspired to go to space yet? Because I sure know I am. We're gonna go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Please be sure to stand, stretch, and do some of those deep breathing exercises. Luzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Hang around for a few moments, listen to these few promos for a few friends of our show and a PSA, and we'll be right back. We shouldn't be in here. Let's go. Okay, follow me. What's the matter, you chicken? I can't jump that far. Okay, chicken, I'm leaving you here. Use your head, Sally. Lady J! There's nothing chicken about being smart. If you stop and think, there's almost always a better way. I'll use this plank. That's using your hand instead of losing it. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Hello there, Gigawater gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul-mouthed comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take that aliens did not build the pyramids, serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking, Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was Sean Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghosts of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't look at them, guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay on the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! What's going on, everyone? This is your girl, Julene, host of It Goes Down in the PM. We talk about everything from work, motherhood, local celebrities, to comic books. Tune in every Friday at 1 o'clock to find out what really goes down in the PM. Hey, this is Country Boy from the One Mike History Podcast. And in these times, I want to remind you about nuclear safety. When you hear the attack warning, you and your family must take cover at once. Do not stay out of doors. If you are caught in the open, lie down. And now here is a reminder about fallout warnings. When fallout is expected, you will hear three bangs in short succession, like this. In some areas, the warning may be given by means of three gongs, like this. Or you may hear three whistles, like this. All these three types of sounds indicate that fallout is expected. When you hear them, you must stay in the safest position in the house. Keep the door shut. Do not go outside the house until you are told it is safe. Here is the all-clear warning. When you hear this sound, you can leave your cover. 
but keep listening for further warnings. Thanks for your attention, and now back to the Derek Duvall Show. Welcome back, Duvall Nation. That is an excellent PSA, isn't it? I'm so glad we've added it to the show. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I did. Abby is incredible. Remember, if you're liking this episode, we have 45 other episodes for you to enjoy if you're a first-time listener. And trust me, they're all as amazing as this one. Go to DerekDuvallShow.com after this episode's over and listen to them. All right, with that being said, let's get right back to the conclusion of our interview with astronaut hopeful, Abby Harrison. How did you, the idea to come around to found the Mars Generation, that nonprofit? Yeah, so the Mars Generation, it really um, harks back to, God, what kind of 24-year-old says harks? I don't know. Uh, it, it reaches back to um, that story that I was telling earlier about when I was in the airport and I bumped into this astronaut just through random chance. We struck up a mentor-mentee relationship. And then a couple of years later, I got an email from Luca. Luca was the astronaut's name. He was with the um, European Space Agency. I get uh, an invitation from him that he is going to the International Space Station for six months. And he wanted to invite me to come watch his launch in Baikonur, Kazakhstan. And that was a pretty big deal. Um, obviously, it was a huge deal for me. But just in general, it was a big, big offer as well because it's pretty limited uh, how many people get to go to these launches in Baikonur. Um, each astronaut gets about 10 invitations, I guess you could say, for friends and family and people who are important to them. So it was very generous of Luca to awesome. share this. Yeah, to share this with me. And it was in that moment that I realized that if, if each astronaut's only getting 10 invitations, that means that only such a small part of the world is getting to experience this awesome launch that is the beginning of a six-month span of time spent doing research in space that benefits all of humanity. And I decided that I was going to take that and I was going to try and bring it to the masses, I guess you could say. I couldn't bring everyone to <laughs> Baikonur with me, but what I did do was I partnered up with Luca for something that had actually never been done before. We called it um, his uh, Earth Liaison, where I partnered with him for six months to share his experiences living and working in space with people here on Earth, and especially with a focus of trying to reach women and young people in particular, um, which were demographics that I, of course, had uh, a natural inclination towards. And so I did a lot of STEM education outreach and communication, um, a lot of uh, you know sharing the entire launch as, as fully as I could on social media, and then coming back and speaking in classrooms to kids about Luca's time and work in space, and creating a lot of digital content, ways for people to engage more with the International Space Station and the astronauts on board. And after the six months was over, where I'd been partnered with Luca, I decided that I didn't want to stop doing STEM outreach. Uh, I was so passionate about STEM and about making sure that the, the general public had this exposure to science and space that I kept doing all of this outreach work. I continued to, to create a lot of content. And then a couple of years later, when I was 18 years old, I decided that, you know, I'm headed off in a new stage in my life. I'm going off to college. I want to continue to do this STEM uh, outreach and the science communication work. And um, with the advice of some people around me, I decided, okay, I'm going to make it more formal. I'm going to make it more real. And I um, founded the Mars Generation nonprofit in order to continue that work that I had already been doing, but really at a larger, more sustainable um, scale. And that's <laughs> the somewhat long-winded story of <laughs> how the Mars Generation came about. That's awesome. Now, I Thank see you. you've done many speaking engagements. Tell us about your first TED Talk. Yeah, so um, my first TED Talk, I was, uh, was either 15 or 16 years old. I was fresh off of having worked as Luca's Earth Liaison and having done all of this, um, you know, just nonstop for six months doing all of this science outreach. And I got invited to give a TED Talk. Um, and my TED Talk was titled, What's Your Mars? Uh, with this idea that we can use space exploration to inspire us here on Earth and that each and every one of us has something special that we're able to offer to the world uh, and kind of guiding people through how to find what it is that they're passionate and excited about 
um, and then how to use that in a positive way to benefit society and the world around us. And um, it was, I'll be honest, it was a little bit daunting when I was, uh, I think I was 16 at the time to get to stand up there on that stage. I was very nervous. I was really lucky that I'd had um, a lot of opportunity support beforehand to, to practice and to, to um, give the speech a couple times within my community. And then I went and got to give the TED Talk. And I was, uh, I think I was the youngest presenter at the conference that day. And I ended up, it was, it was a great experience. Um, I, not to toot my own horn or brag, but uh, I did get a standing ovation at the end. There you go. I, I left that one feeling, <laughs> feeling pretty good. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, obviously, um, the, you're, the, they build, in, you know, the, the characterization of how awesome you are. Um, uh-huh. You have a goal first person you want to be the first person to set foot on mars am i correct yes that is because uh becoming an astronaut wasn't a big enough goal i said to myself what is the the absolute largest goal that i can set have you rehearsed the first words you would say on the historic occasion because neil set a pretty high bar i know he really did and uh i am very hopeful that my first words are as eloquent as (laughs) as his were (laughs) Um, I can't share them with you though, because no, that's fine, otherwise, man. yeah, otherwise no one's going to watch, right? Like 20 <laughs> years down the road. That's, I know that's the only reason people would be watching a, a live stream of people landing on Mars. <laughs> one of my, one of my favorite lines ever was from, uh, uh, the earth to the moon, the miniseries, and they were building up the part, you know, the building up to the Apollo 11 launch. And yeah. they were saying to Neil, like, what, you know, what should your first words be? And one of the astronauts goes, if it was me, be like, oh God, what is that? And scream and run. And All just, right. You know, <laughs> and then just radio silence. Radio silence, minutes, you know. To, just yeah. really let mission control sweat a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just see Walter Cronkite trying to figure that one out. That would be fun. So yeah. um, I told my listeners you were coming on, and I had them submit a few questions to ask you, if that's okay. Uh, I of chose course. four, which I found to be the most fun and amusing. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. So th- here they go. First question, uh, what's your favorite space movie? My favorite space movie. Oh, I'm. I feel so basic when I say this, but The Martian. It was so good. It was we love The Martian. Movie. Yeah. Oh, good. good. I'm glad. Yeah. I have it on. Uh, you know, I, I have... don't. I don't trust people who don't like The Martian. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we have it on uh, 4K. I have a theater in my house, an actual theater room, and uh, we have it in 4K. So it's. We watch it all the time. It's a great, great movie. Oh, so. that sounds nice. Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> such a fantastic movie. And really I have to is. say that uh, part of what makes it so great is that the book was awesome as well. I really enjoyed reading The Martian. And then you always get a little nervous, a little anxious when they do an adaptation off of a mm-hmm. book that you liked. Yep. But then when I watched the, the movie, I was like, it's different, but it has <laughs> the same level charm. of awesome. Yeah, the same yeah. charm. Yep. It really, you know, they're both such good pieces of work. I have a lot of friends of mine who are, you know, they, they stand by the written word. And I always say to them, you know, you're 100% of the time normally right. The book is always going to be better than the movie, with rare exception. And I always tell them, if you really, really want to have a good snooze fest, read the book Jaws. It is so boring. <laughs> it, the movie just is so much better because the book is horrible. Yeah, so, I believe that. <laughs> so uh, next question. This one's kind of a fun one. Have you ever met a flat earther? And if so, what was your reaction? Yeah, so I don't know if I've, um, I, I feel like I probably have uh, crossed paths with flat earthers in person and not known it, but I haven't met anyone yet who, you know, directly to my face has uh, has mentioned those beliefs. But <laughs> um, I don't know, something about me makes people just not want to talk about that. But uh yeah. Uh, I have definitely interacted with flat earthers um, on the internet. So part of what I do is I run a series of social media channels meant to increase diversity in STEM and to create more role models for girls and women in STEM. So I share my experiences as a young scientist and an aspiring astronaut with people. Um, And as you can imagine, that means that uh, being a public persona on the internet I get right. uh, some trolls and I have to say that thankfully the trolls in the space industry are um, a lot more amusing than trolls yeah. in a lot of other industries I always find my interactions with flat earthers 
to uh, to to just leave a a humorous aftertaste. <laughs> I, if you uh, will. <laughs> I I if anybody who knows me outside of the, outside of the studio, anybody who knows me, I'm the, one of the most open book, most easy to talk to people in the world, with two exceptions. One, I will not debate that the moon landing didn't happen i just my brain won't <laughs> comprehend that and there's another one too but i'm like I, i've actually met people who literally will scream in my face that the moon landing was faked and i'm like no 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 let's let's not do that we're not so, doing that yeah yeah <laughs> so next question uh when you aren't being astronaut abby what sort of things do you enjoy doing that are not space related <laughs> um yeah so as you can imagine a lot of my time goes towards um both pursuing my my career i guess you could say in a selfish way chasing after this astronaut dream and then also uh, as you put it being astronaut abby running the mars generation visiting schools and classrooms um doing all of this other work that i do to increase uh access to stem and and representation of women and all this stuff but in my spare time um i i really love uh to play board games i'm a huge board game fanatic i also am really crafty i um especially during the pandemic have been enjoying getting to spend a lot of time painting and sewing and knitting mm. and playing violin um you play violin also, i do yeah i play violin i picked it up nice. in college yeah nice. it's a fun um maybe i'll take that space with me someday it's a travel <laughs> size right there you go uh, and then I also really just, I'm um, very keen on physical fitness and all of that. And so I, uh, I am a long distance runner and I also um, rock climb a couple times a week. Really? Oh, that's mm -hmm. cool. We just had this rock climbing uh, place, like an indoor rock climbing place open here where I live. And I got about 10 feet off the ground. I was like, nope, no, no, back down, back down. <laughs> <laughs> not for right. you, not a, not a fan no. place. <laughs> no, not a fan of heights. Um, last question of the fan questions. Who is your favorite Star Trek captain? Ooh. Um, let's see. I, uh, I'm really a fan of the, the newer movies, like the, uh, the 2009, the um, what was Pine. that one called? Into Darkness. Yeah. And yeah, Chris the... Pine is, probably my uh my favorite of the captains that wow. is a i know and it's i'm biased in that one though because that's what i was watching when i was a kid that's mm. what was coming out and so i have these really fond memories you know i tried to watch that that film a couple months ago and uh it's a little bit more cringe now but <laughs> <laughs> i still have these really fond um nostalgic memories of mm -hmm. of that and uh got to really get my first taste of Star Trek through that. And then I got a lot more exposure to the the more original material later on when I was when I was back at Wellesley actually, that was a fun memory is that the astronomy club every um, week or so would have a Star Trek night where the students would gather. We had an observatory on campus, which was mm -hmm. lots of fun. And one of the non-science things that we did in the observatory was Star Trek night. And so we would get to <laughs> all gather together and watch the original series and stuff like that. Uh, you all dress up like characters or some of that or? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. people would get really into it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So moving on, uh, you've written a book, Dream Big, How to Reach for Your Stars. Uh, where did the inspiration to start that come from? So I felt like I've been given so many opportunities um, over the last, I've been doing this science education and science communication work for over a decade now. Um, and during that time, I have just had so many incredible experiences. I've gotten to meet people who have taught me a lot in all avenues of life, you know, not just the astronauts and the astrophysicists and the mathematicians, but also the, the teachers and the artists and just all of these incredible people who I've learned from. And so I decided that wouldn't it be incredible to get to share all of those things that I've learned uh, with with other people and especially with other young people to try and give them the same leg up that I've had. And um, that's really what the entire Mars generation is about, is about taking the opportunities and increasing access to those opportunities. 
Um, so for instance, when I was 13 years old, I went to space camp on a scholarship because my family couldn't afford the tuition and the plane ticket to send me there. And then 10 years later through the Mars generation, we've been able to award more than 50 scholarships to students with financial need to go to space camp and to have other um, science uh, hands-on experiences like that. And so that really is like a vital part is this idea of how is it that we can take the, the things that we have, you know, myself and the rest of my team at the Mars Generation, the things that we're so grateful for and increase the scope of people who are impacted by those. And that was kind of the idea behind Dream Big as well was how is it that I can take all of this knowledge that I just feel so lucky to have um, accumulated and share that with, uh, with everyone, hopefully. <laughs> Um, and so Dream Big was the product of that. And it was really interesting as well when I first started writing it because um, books take, they take time to write, of course. And I started writing it. And then midway through writing it, uh, the pandemic struck. And I actually released it um, during the first year of the COVID pandemic. And that felt significantly more important to me than it would have uh, had it not been such a tumultuous time for so many people because the book is really chock full of all of this advice and skill building exercises and all of these things to help the reader uh, gain the, the, the tools and skills that they need in order to be successful at whatever they put their mind to in the future and that is always important but especially over these last couple of years it started to feel even more important to me to make sure that young people are equipped with the skills that they need in order to hit the ground running and to chase after their dreams um and so getting to i, I don't think anyone would ever say they want to publish their first book during a pandemic but um I, I will say that it felt really meaningful to be putting that kind of a product out into the world during a time when i felt like it was needed so as a bona fide role model to young women question <laughs> about that come on now what advice would you give young girls young women out there if they decided to pursue a career in working in space so my best advice and this goes for young girls and and women um not just within the space industry, but really in every field, uh, my best advice would be to get ready to fail. And <laughs> I know it sounds, I, I, it always sounds really negative when I give that piece of advice, but the reason that that is first and foremost, in my opinion, um, one of the most important pieces of advice is that I feel like girls and women a lot of times were socialized to believe that we have to be really good at things right away or that we have to be perfect at them in order to make them worth doing in the first place. And that is just absolutely not the case for any, really anything, but especially once you start to get into STEM fields, things don't usually come naturally in science or in math. There's a learning curve. You have to spend time making mistakes. That's how you learn. That's how you become the best before you can be good at something you have to be mediocre at it and before you can be great at something you have to be good at it and so i always like to tell girls and women that they should fail fast and fail often and be ready for failure um ready to pick themselves back up afterwards and instead of looking at it as this negative thing that is stopping them from achieving their dreams instead look at it and say wow, I'm so lucky that I got to experience that. What did I learn from it? How is it going to be a stepping stone or a building block to help me actually achieve this in the future? Um, and so I just, I really think that if we had a, a, a mind shift about how the, the perspective that we see failure in, that that would really help a lot of people, but especially girls and, um, and women in STEM fields. My wife is going to love this episode. She loves hearing, you know, strong, confident, powerful women on my show. So you've just got a fan in her, I can tell you already. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> so, oh, you're welcome. Um, so first steps on Mars and Harvard aside, what does the immediate future look like for Abby? So the immediate future um, for me is, uh, I just finished up applying for graduate school. So hopefully within the next um, six months or so, so I'll be starting a program 
the fields that I was applying in were biogeochemistry and marine sciences. So looking in particular, I have a, a passion and interest for deep sea um, environments and extremophile organisms. So organisms that live in extreme environments. Uh, so that's hopefully within the future for me. In the even shorter term, until then, um, I am currently working on getting uh, my EMT license, so emergency mm -hmm. medicine. And I am also um, currently working on an instrument rating, which I'm already a pilot, but the next step is to uh, get an instrument rating, which is the essentially the ability to fly in um, bad weather is a, a, a way you can describe that. It's flying from within the airplane instead of outside of it. Um, so those are the, the two really big goals that I have uh, over the next couple of months. And there might be some other interesting things that I can't quite talk about yet, but I've oh, got a couple of fun things on the, you know, on the boilerplate. And uh, if anyone is intrigued by that and wants to keep up with my adventures, um, you can do so on all of the different social media platforms. I am findable as Astronaut Abby, and you can also find um, the Mars Generation nonprofit as the Mars Generation social media. <laughs> you're, the, you're the best thing. The next question I ask is, what is the best way for my listeners to follow your ventures on social media? So you, you covered that one beautifully. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, feeling, no, your, I'm feeling your lines. I'm, <laughs> you know this is going to be the Abby Harrison show. You no, never know. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I, I Seriously, you have no idea. That really made me smile. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Real quick, before I before I let you go, there's one question I want to ask real quick. Have you actually done uh, the weightlessness uh, plane? I can't remember what they call it. Uh, so the there are different names. There's uh, zero gravity uh, simulator. Some people like to call it the vomit comet mm -hmm. uh, because the way that it works is it's a large plane that has essentially been retrofitted inside um, that does large parabolas. And in each parabola, you get about 30 to 60 seconds of weightlessness. And mm. um, the same way that when you ride a carnival ride where it takes you up really, really, really high and then drops you, you experience a moment. Uh, in that instance, you're not falling for a long enough time. So you only get like a second or two of weightlessness. Whereas in a large plane like this doing a parabola, you get 30 to 60 seconds of simulated um, microgravity experience. Uh, I, all of that to say, I haven't done it yet. Uh, oh, right. it's, it's definitely on my bucket list of things to, to experience. I just haven't really had a reason yet. Like I, I have always looked at that as a, uh, a fun thing that I might do someday. Like a bucket but, list kind of thing? Yeah, kind of like a bucket list thing. Yeah. I just just was curious. I just had to ask. So, all right. So I end my interviews with my absolute favorite question. And the question is this. You ready? Yes. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you want to say to the people of Earth? It feels a little bit on the nose now What with the, the new show, Don't Look Up, that, um, the new movie that just came out that was really saying a very similar thing. But I still feel like the one thing that I have to say to everyone is to believe scientists and just how incredibly important it is that we continue to not only increase public faith and trust in science and scientists, but also increase the support that we have for the next generation of young people who are going into these, these fields and these careers. I look at the future and a lot of times, a lot of times I get asked questions about um, how I feel about the future of humanity here on Earth. And I get asked if I look at Mars and this dream and passion I have for space travel and especially for Mars as a plan B for all of our problems here on Earth. And I always look at that and, and think there's absolutely no, there is no plan B. Mars and exploring Mars is valid and it's an important thing to do for a lot of different reasons, honestly. It's a dangerous subject for me to broach because I could be uh, talking your ear off about that topic all <laughs> night. But the one reason that it's not important to do is as a plan B for Earth. It's simply not a plan B for Earth. We have to be focusing on how we can manage and deal with the substantial challenges and difficulties that we'll be facing 
both my generation and the next generation. And I don't, I don't look at that in a negative way. I look at it very optimistically. And I think that we have the ability to do so. And we have so much potential and so much capability for this generation to rise up to meet the challenges and to really make incredible discoveries along the way. Um, but I do think that if we're gonna if we're gonna be successful in in doing that, that we need young people today to be supported in STEM. So we need to be supporting nonprofits like the Mars Generation that are doing educational outreach and educational work. We need to be even on a smaller level than that, supporting the young people in our lives and helping them to have what they need in order to be successful in the future. Um, so that's my. <laughs> That's my big, uh, big message to, um, to all of humanity, I guess, is let's just, let's just all pitch in to do the best that we can um, for, for this generation and the next. The book, Dream Big, How to Reach for Your Stars, is available on Abby's website, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Abby, this has been an absolute thrill for me. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to get to share with all of your listeners um, about my passion for space and for the Mars generation. And it's uh, also get a couple of good chuckles in there. It's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a pleasure. I, uh, I will say this. Like I said, I have a good feeling about people and we're going to be hearing your name for many more years to come. You absolute best success for your future. Okay. Thank you very much. I, uh, I appreciate it. And just like that, folks, we come to the end of this incredible episode of The Derek Duvall Show. I want to thank Abby Harrison for being such an absolute great sport and for taking time out of her very busy schedule to come on the show. You're going to be hearing her name for a long time to come, folks. I absolutely, truly believe that in my heart. Be sure to check out her website and subscribe to her social media channels when you're done with this episode. Just remember, once again, I told you, we have a brand new project coming out, hopefully this week. It'll be called The Derek Duvall Show Presents Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies. So be sure to check that out when you see it posted live. We are continuing to monitor the situation in the Ukraine. We are all continuing to hope for an end to the crisis in that region. I have listeners in both Russia and in the Ukraine. And based on what I have seen, the Russian people don't seem to be very supportive of this either. We can only hope that this will end soon. Just what a horror show. If you wish to donate or contribute in any way to assist with a massive crisis, go to UNICEF at unicef.org and make a donation if you can. We'll be back next week with another incredible interview. This next episode for Women's History Month will encapsulate the business category. And boy, is this lady amazing. You'll truly be inspired. With that being said, I want to end this episode with a quote from Victor Hugo. Peace is the virtue of civilization. War is its crime. Nusta, God bless, and see you next week, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.